Without question, the power of mentorship of our youth, especially at-risk children, creates a long-lasting ripple effect for every corner of society in our nation. Additionally, mentoring relationships produce positive mental health benefits for all involved, which is critically important during these challenging times. To discuss these needs in our communities and more, Artis Stevens, the president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, joins us on the podcast. While together, Artis shares how his upbringing has fueled his passion to empower our nation's youth, the importance of being the first black president and CEO in the organization's 117-year history, and where he and his team will be taking this story nonprofit into the future. I'm incredibly honored to share this touching and heart-filled message of hope and unity as we continue to work together to create brighter days ahead for our country. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Artists, welcome to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Mike, thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to be on with you today. Well, I'm so honored to spend time with you today so we can better understand your vision for Big Brothers Big Sisters of America now that you are the newest president and CEO of this storied, important, and impactful organization for so many Americans, both young and old. But before we dive into your inspiring work, Artists, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to visit PassionatePioneers.com in order to share your feedback and ideas. Simply scroll to the comments section at the bottom of each posted episode. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, artists, it's almost time to discuss how you and the team are creating and supporting one-to-one mentoring relationships that ignite the power and promise of our youth. But first, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so we can get to know you. Let's see what it comes up with. Oh, one of my favorite topics. We're talking food, artists. What is your favorite meal and why? Well, that's a good one. So my favorite meal, I love anything Italian. So Italian and soul food are my favorite meals, but let me just focus on Italian here real quick. And I love pretty much any type of pasta. My favorite meal is particularly penne pasta with Alfredo sauce and chicken and broccoli. My wife knows that I've loved it. And the reason why is because even when I was growing up, my mom would make meals that could feed a lot of people. Right. And that's one thing that you, you know about Italian food that it can see, you can make a helping of it and it can feed a lot of people. So I grew up in an incredibly large family. I was the youngest of eight people in our household. And so having that kind of food was always something that we did around the table, you know, shared around the table, connected, talked around the table. So it's not just the food itself, but it's the memories and the connection I remember growing up. And I do the same thing today with my kids and my wife. Now, do the kids get involved as well? Do you get them in the kitchen, make sure that they're doing their part as well, make it a team effort? Well, let me put it this way. There's four of us in my household. I would say I'm the worst cook out of the four. (laughs) So it's probably more of them teaching me things than I would say I'm teaching them. My wife is an incredible cook. We actually did 
a cooking demonstration that I have on video, which I'm probably not going to allude too much because people are probably looking up online, but I've already said it, so they're probably going to look it up anyway. And it was just doing the smoothie. And I will tell you that my wife and my two girls basically outdid me in pretty much every form and shape of preparing that smoothie that I would do. And, and we're talking about a smoothie there. So I consider myself a great taste tester and eater, not so much a great cook, but I try my best. Hey, we all got to do our part, right? Whether it be taste testing, cooking, leading the charge, we all have our part in it. And of course, it's great to hear that you're still a student of the game, right? Even learning from your children, that's a great mindset to be in. I'm a huge fan of Italian food as well. Grew up in the same environment, last name Baselli. As you can imagine, we used to have huge meals. So totally get it there. And artists, thank you for sharing that. Some great food, some great discussion. Glad to hear your children are still teaching you as well. But I'm looking forward to diving into your inspiring journey and mission after we get back from thinking our community champion sponsor. This episode of Passion of Pioneers is brought to you by Augmetics, ambient medical documentation and live clinical support. Did you know that nearly 75% of clinicians surveyed in a recent study say they spend over 10 hours per week on paperwork and medical notes? But clinicians who've adopted Augmetics are spending less time writing notes and more time providing superior care to their patients. Augmetics is a leading provider of remote medical documentation using remote AI-assisted live scribes to observe, listen, and capture relevant details from natural conversation for over 35 specialties. Augmetics provides real-time support that includes orders, referrals, and reminders to deliver accurate, complete, and timely medical notes. Augmetics brings back the joy of practicing medicine. To learn more and to bring the Augmetics joy to your practice, visit augmetics.com slash passionate pioneers or click on the link at the top of the episode notes. We are back with Artist Stevens, the newest CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America. Artist, so great to again have you here today. So much to discuss, so much to explore. What an amazing accomplishment of leading this 116-year storied organization that has touched so many of us across the country. And you have dedicated quite a bit of your career, your mission, and journey to serving youth. Matter of fact, in a recent press release about your new appointment, it states, from you, one of the most important parts of my life has been the opportunity to lead purpose-driven work and empowering young people to be the change they want to see in the world. Artists, can you take us back? When did that fire get ignited in your belly? When did you start recognizing this is going to be your life's work? I know you've been at it for a number of years. Take us through that journey, and then we're going to discuss your most recent and current appointment of being the president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. And I have to say, when you talk about a career in purpose, it is something for so many of us who spend our lifetime, and that's my story, spending my lifetime, that it's something that just doesn't happen yesterday. It's something that has been embedded in you in some way in your life that some experience has shaped you, something within your upbringing may have shaped you and brought you to this career path. And that's what it is for me, right? I grew up, as I shared earlier, in a very large family. My dad was a pastor of a church. My granddad was a pastor of a church as well. So I had that generational thing going on. And before you know it, everyone was asking me that same question. Was I going to become a pastor like my dad? And I was a little kid when people started asking, I was seven years old. 
when people ask me that question. So there you go for basically predicting someone's future, huh? And, you know, when I went to my dad, I'll never forget this. I went to my dad and I said, so everyone's in church is saying that I'm a pastor like you. Is that true? And my dad looked at me, he smiled, and I'll never forget the words that he shared with me. And he said, everyone has their ministry in life. You have to find yours. Wow. Right? And that stuck with me. And it stuck with me, Mike, because it was really my pathway of one, knowing that I had the freedom to sort of pursue and go in the direction in life that I knew that he and my mom and those around me empowered me to sort of find my own way. But two, in doing that, it sort of freed me to sort of really look at, you know, the world and the work that he did as a ministry. And to say that ministry wasn't just the sense about being a preacher, but the ministry was embedded in every single thing that we do in this world to help others, to help people. When I started, even as a young kid, I was involved in community groups because I was in church. I was involved in youth programs. And I saw, even in the youth programs, I saw mentors come in and help young people. I had mentors in life that really helped me and shaped me even as I was starting to sort of go into matriculation of elementary school, middle school transition, and then high school when I played sports and I was being, and I, and I read up in your bio that you, you were very involved in sports as well, but I was being recruited in high school. And, and one of the things that happened to me is that I was injured in my junior year. And it was a very significant injury, an adverse injury, and brought me even to the brink of some really significant depression because I bet so much on this idea of playing a sport in college. But what I remember from that instance as well is that I still went on and went to college, but it wasn't on an athletic scholarship. It was academically. And that was because I had people in my life who encouraged me. I had my network of mentors, the community that was behind me, people that pushed me and who brought me out of that sense. Hey, everything that, that was anchored to me at that time was not just based upon my athletic ability, but it was based upon who I was as a person. That's my journey. My journey is one of empowerment. It's one of discovering your path and finding your path. And those impressions that I had when I was a young kid growing up, and having that connection of mentors and a community that supported what I believe every kid should have. And that's what inspired me when I went on to college. And I started for the perspective of really thinking about what I wanted to do in my career. It started off as law because I thought I was going to be a lawyer and I got a background in communication. I went through school pre-law. I was going to be a lawyer and I wanted to do civil law on behalf of advocacy and advocacy of people who didn't, because I remember that ministry, the people who didn't have, because I remember that ministry. I joined the fraternity and it was one of many people may hear of the divine nine, the black fraternities and sororities, one of the first uh, black fraternity alpha Phi alpha. And that's where I learned a lot about building this connection with others and serving others in the community. And spent a lot of time doing that in my college career. And when I graduated my first job, because I thought I was going to law school, but I went to get some experience just sort of communicating. And I went to interview in public housing, so a job in public housing. And it was just doing interview. That interview really sort of opened up my eyes because the public housing community that I ended up taking the job was the public housing community that I played in as a kid. And that stuck with me because I never went to law school. And, but it sort of directed my path in terms of where I wanted to see 
my passion to really develop my ministry, I should say, to really develop. And that led from one place to the next, whether it was moving on to Boys and Girls Clubs of America and helping millions of kids to get access into opportunities with education, health, and one of the largest youth development organizations serving kids all across America, whether it was moving from there, from working in programs to working in marketing. And what I learned as a professional was that you have to understand your product to really be able to communicate it and to sell it in in a way to truly get investment. So even though I have a background in marketing, my first job into a large nonprofit organization was not even working in where I got my degree. It was work in program because my mentor who brought me into the organization really understood that I needed to have that full 360 well-roundness to be able to grow as a professional and to develop my career skill and to grow into the work that I wanted to move into. And that is something that as we continue to talk, you're going to hear me talk more about the steps that you take truly achieve at your potential may not be the six steps that you map out, but maybe the steps that are most important for your life and your development to grow into the place that you needed to grow. And then the last thing I'll say as I wrap this up is that making those steps and going in that direction for me has never been about a planned direction and a planned course, not in the sense of every step. It's been knowing a vision of what I wanted to do in life. And again, I go back to what I said earlier about ministry. What I knew is that I wanted to empower young people. I wanted to empower young people to change the world. What I also knew is that I had a certain skill set to be able to do that. I understood how to tell the story, how to understand what people needed to know and to hear and support things that would benefit causes and benefit charities. So I knew I had a talent for that. I knew that there was an opportunity to help more kids in this country. I knew that there was a distinct need, particularly in communities that don't have in this country and that are suffering more than a lot of other people in this community. My real connection was how do I bridge those things together and bring my skills and bring my talent in a way that allows my ministry to grow in that way. And that's what's always been my driver. And everything else has sort of plotted its own course for me because it's been through relationships. It's been through working hard. It's been through ensuring that I'm doing the right things and I'm doing it with the right level of integrity as I walk through my journey and my path to get to the place that I am. And those doors have opened because I feel like I've approached it and I've taken the right steps to get to the places that have led me to an opportunity such as this so that when I moved from Boys and Girls Clubs and then I became a leader at 4-H, which was another large national organization, youth development organization, I was prepared not to take on a CEO role for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, but to be the best me. And being the best me, I believe, has helped to open the door for me and to create opportunities for building and growing my skills to ultimately arrive in a role like this. Wow. Thank you so much for that storied history of how you got to where you are, artist. It, and it resonates with me as well, being you know part of community, continuing to lead others to build that sense of togetherness has been really the mission and the driver for me in my own career and my own personal journey. And I've also had the distinct honor and privilege to mentor some of our youth here in our community in Denver, Colorado. So with that, I do want to change gears and start talking about your new position as the CEO 
of this 116-year-old organization. Many of us know it, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. It has done so much good work in our country. But one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here, and we're going to ask first kind of that elevator pitch of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, in case anybody doesn't know what you guys are up to, what I also then want to really focus in on artists is mental health and well-being. What does this mean for the youth being mentored and for the adults who are mentoring? I think that there's a great opportunity on both sides to really discuss what does this mean to address this mental health crisis that we have in our country. I believe that you have a great opportunity at Big Brothers Big Sisters to take it on, to confront it, and help us continue to move past it. But before we go there, artists, I'm going to ask you, give us that quick elevator pitch. Who and what is Big Brothers Big Sisters? Well, Mike, you set it up incredibly well. 116-year-old organization, an iconic organization in our country, the preeminent organization, youth organization, when it comes to one-on-one mentoring for young people across this country. We serve thousands of young people, 236 local agencies, and that is staff and volunteers on the ground serving local communities and changing the lives of young people and changing the lives of the communities that they serve. We are in all 50 states. And the impact of an organization like Big Brothers Big Sisters of America is so incredible because not only impact the young person, which we call in, in our setup, the big is the caring adult and the little is the inspired young person. But not only does it impact the young person in tremendous ways, but to what you just mentioned, it impacts that big relationship that they have. And some of the most inspiring stories that we hear are the stories of inspiration between not just the impact of a young person, but the impact that it's made on the big life. I'll also say that was really special about this organization as well, is that it's one of the unique organizations in our country that also has a view into the family, right? So a lot of times you find with youth development organizations, Yes, there's the volunteer, there may be the program specialist, and then there's a young person. In this respect, the program also has to connect with the parent that's in the household. So not only is it just the idea of youth development relationship between the big, the volunteer, and the young person, but it's also the staff that's on the ground there, as well as the parents that are in the household and the broader community services, because in a lot of ways, our staff are seeing a 360 view of young people that sometimes not even the school may see. In some cases, the parents may not see, but it's a connection that helps to provide the types of resources that our kids need. And the last thing I'll say, Mike, is that we serve some of the most vulnerable kids in the country, right? We know that 66% of the kids that we serve are come from single parent households. We know that 44% of the kids live in poverty. We know that another 20% of the kids uh, have a parent who's been incarcerated. It's also that we serve young people who in a lot of ways, and you think about what's happened during the pandemic and with COVID in communities that have been much more affected or the propensity of how they've been affected has been significantly higher than other communities. 70% of our kids come from communities of color. We know that this organization is on the front line of facing and addressing the biggest challenges that young people are facing in our country. And that's why this organization is one of the organizations that if you're looking to make an impact 
on creating more equity across our country, addressing some of the significant issues in economic education, as well as social development and mental health. It is the place for corporations, philanthropists, community partners, education institutions, and governments to start at if we want to ensure that we're creating the types of future, both for young people and our country and their success. And we're going to go there in just a moment, Artis, in regards to tactically how you are going to deliver exactly that as the new CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. But before we go there and what the future state holds for the organization, where you're going to take the organization across the country over the next number of years, I do want to highlight and I do want to ask, you are the first black CEO in the history of this organization. That is a huge deal. But I want to ask you, did you ever think someone who looks like you could lead an organization like a Big Brothers Big Sisters? Absolutely. It is, and I've said this before, that when you give a young person a picture, when you give them a view, when you give them an idea, when you open up their mind, when they can be exposed to new places, new things, what their potential is, this organization is embedded into potential. That's what we stand for, potential of every young person, because we know it's there. The one thing that sometimes is missing for too many young people is the opportunity. What I grew up, and when I talk about my ministry, one thing that I'm so proud of is that from my parents, the community, the partners that were around me, to the mentors that I have, they always challenged me. They always set the expectations high. They always showed me what the possibilities were, but they also saw the potential that I had. So I knew from day one that I had the potential to do this. It was more about having the opportunity to do it. And I've been in a place in my life where I've had opportunities. And that's the difference, Mike. It's not a difference of the potential that one young person to another has. It's the opportunity that they get. And it's organizations like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, community organizations, people on the ground, the work that you're doing here and sharing these types of messages that ensure that kids get more access, they get more opportunities so that they can get to a place like this. And then the last thing that I'll share with you is that this is certainly a remarkable achievement, but we know that there's many more that need to happen. There's many more firsts that need to happen in our country. There's many more barriers that need to be broken in our country, not just along race, but pretty much along every sense of inclusion that you can think of to ensure that our country is and it and continues to be the promise of what it was established to be and that opportunity access for all. And that's what I supremely believe. And I believe that by breaking the barrier like this, what I'm hopeful of, that it's going to mean that more young people, that more folks who are aspiring to do things in their careers and their personal lives, they'll see the example that I've set here and that millions of others have set. And that will be inspiration for them to do and not only what I've done here, but even more and to help our country and help their community. Wow. I am fired up artist. Sign me up. Tell me where you need me to report. I'm ready to go. Holy cow. That is such an inspiring, important, and timely message. This is exactly what we need in our communities right now, more important than ever. But let's start talking where you're going to take us, artists, right? You're just getting going. You've just assumed the role. And one of the big reasons, again, why I wanted to have you on this podcast is to really think through the mental health crisis we have in this nation what is Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America going to do to address that? What is your commitment to it? 
you maybe share a bit there? And then where do you see the organization heading over the next kind of one to two, two to three years? Yeah. So let's think about a couple of things to this topic, right? So I think the first place to think about is that the idea of mental health has been one that has been so isolated, diminished, and even demeaned in our country. It's been one that has, for years, anyone in the mental health industry can allude to, and I'm not a mental health expert, but I have worked with young people for years and seen things personally in my family and amongst my communities and my network that it's one that people have been shamed to talk about, right? That you don't talk about mental health. And I will tell you, that's even more emphasis in communities of color where it's just something that if there's a problem, you're either told to sort of deal with it or there hasn't been the access to the types of resources. There's been a lack of connection to be able to embrace and connect with others to talk about it. And no more has that been more significant with young people. It's just been something that, of course, there's been a lot of research around it, but it hasn't been something that's been proliferated to the area and to the profile of what young people experience all across this country in terms of their trauma and mental health, their social well-being, their emotional well-being. And that's why, even with the challenges and the issues that we face today, why I'm also encouraged by how mental health has been, the profile of it has been raised for the last few years when it comes to young people. And at Big Brothers Big Sisters, what I'll tell you at one thing that the root and at the core is the idea of positive relationships, right? And we know that that is a core central aspect to addressing some of the challenges with mental health. Of course, this is a much more broader issue, but when it comes to young people, one of the things that's sincerely missing is the ability for young people to have very honest and open conversations with adults to be able to relate to other people that may be having some of the same challenges uh, that they have. In this organization, mental health and trauma has always been part of the DNA because part of the DNA of why the organization was founded was to be able to address and deal with young people who were having issues in the criminal justice system. And some of those issues in the criminal justice system were, of course, inherently mental health related And it was about empowering young people to be connected with these volunteers and these adults who could be resources for them, who could talk with them, who could model for them. That same type of model continues to live on and to grow into the Big Brothers Big Sisters network. What I will tell you about some of the ways that we've been working and some of the things that we've been doing has really been around the idea of how do we think about social isolation. And that's become even more of an issue, of course, with the growth of the pandemic. Young people had already been isolated a lot in communities, particularly communities such as rural communities, urban communities, communities of color, as I mentioned before, young people who've been ostracized because of their sexual orientation or who they are, who they be, or what they may believe. All of these types of issues that young people have faced in our country. And the pandemic has done nothing but exasperated some of those issues because it put our kids in a position where they become more socially isolated. What we tried to do at Big Brothers Big Sisters is to work through a, a number of different ways. One is about keeping the connections with our bigs and our volunteers connected with their littles and their family. 
So even though we've been in the midst of a pandemic, it's been really reinforcing and trying to focus in on how do we ensure that those connections still happen. So that contact with between bigs and littles, being able to work through digital technology. So ensuring that we have safe uh, mechanisms where our bids can stay connected with our littles and the type of communication channels, stay open with them. We've also been doing socially distant type of communications connected between our bigs and our littles. So those connections still happen. And then the other thing that I'll say is that we know that this is not isolated, meaning that it's not simply the relationship that we have, as I mentioned before, it's the relationship with the family. So our staff on the ground, our local agency leaders, really working with the families of our littles and ensuring that they have some of the resources that they need, that they know what type of community access, whether that's healthcare, mental health type of access, types of resources they can get to. It's been changing the model a bit to be able to accommodate what our young people and what their families are facing on the ground. And then ensuring that we as the youth development organization, which is always going to be our core, but also as an access, organization to ensure that we're building and bringing connections to help young people in the way that they need it right now. Well, thank you for sharing that artist. It's a very exciting current state. And of course, where you're going to take the organization, but we want to be of help. We have some of the nation's leaders in the health and healthcare industry tuning in, helping our guests just like you. So what is one problem, need, or question that you or big brothers, big sisters of America currently have that we can be contemplating and helping you with? Yeah, well, that's a biggie. (laughs) There's so many. Don't be shy. One that I'll focus on, on, which really goes back even to your question about the future of our organization. So we are an organization that is, of course, predicated on volunteers, right? So the way that our program is delivered, it is delivered the spirit, the inspiration, the empowerment of volunteers connecting in our organization so that we have more volunteers that are connecting with young people, right? The way that we're going to continue to grow is really thinking through that model, that program model. And that program model is in one sense, how do we ensure that that one-on-one mentoring continues to happen? But we also look at other ways of mentoring. It could be group mentoring. It could be more a peer-to-peer mentoring in some cases, the ability of technology and enhancing technology so that we can do more things digital, not as a replacement of in-person, but as a supplement, a hybrid, a blended approach of how we support our in-person approach. And then thirdly, the ability of partnerships, right? We can't do any of the work that we do without the ability of partnerships and building partnerships on the corporate level Many of our volunteers happen through large corporations who have broad employee-based programs, so volunteers programs, so they both invest both financially as well with their people time to ensure that happens. And then like-minded other nonprofits and educational institutions and community organizations who help us to get the reach that we need to ensure that more kids get mentoring in America. The reason I bring all that up, Mike, is because right now, we have 30,000 kids on our waiting list, 30,000 kids. And there are thousands of more kids that need the services of mentoring now more than ever because of all the things that we know from this pandemic to the social unrest to what we're seeing in our politics today. Kids need us more than ever and they cannot wait. And, but we have 30,000 kids waiting on our waiting list today. Most of those 30,000 kids are young boys 
And we look at our volunteer list right now, which we want even more on that volunteer list, but we have most of our volunteer uh, list right now are women. We need more women, but we particularly need more men. We need more male volunteers to support the work that we do. And we especially need more men of color as well to volunteer to support a lot of the work that we have going on too. So part of the challenge that I would love to put out to your audience is it's twofold, right? We need organizations, companies coming to the table with us because there's really two aspects that are at the challenge of that volunteer conundrum that we have in Gulf. One is the access to be able to have the types of access points to get more volunteers into the door. So that is the sense of having more companies that come to the table with these types of employee volunteering programs, to having more types of organizations that we need and building the types of relationships that are going to build the infrastructure we need. But I'll tell you what's even more importantly is the financial investment to make that happen. So we have a model that it's not just coming to the table to volunteer. We have to do background checks. We have to ensure that that volunteer relationship is both great for the volunteer, but also for the young person and the family that's being served. That takes time, that takes capacity, and that takes effort of our local agency staff on the ground to make that happen. And to do that, we need the type of capacity to ensure that we're doing it well, that we're doing it effectively, that we're doing it safely. And at the very end of the day, that outcome that's being produced is an outcome that's going to be great for first and foremost for the young people that we serve, as well as for the amazing volunteers that we have. So that 30,000 list is something that we want to eradicate ultimately. We want to see that go to zero. I'd rather have a waiting list for volunteers, the man for volunteers is one where volunteers are waiting and hungry to be able to support and serve an organization like this versus the other way around where young people are waiting. So we need more companies. We need more philanthropists. We need more foundation to the table who are coming and thinking through this with us and putting their hands out and bending their olive branch, if you will, to say, Hey, here's some ways that we can work with you and partner with you to transform the way that mentoring happens in this country, the model for serving young people and building more volunteers and building capacity to serve more youth in our country. So important call to actions there, Artis. Thank you for sharing that for our community. But of course, in order to take action, we need to be able to get a hold of you. Where can we find you online, social media contact points, websites, or otherwise? Where can we find you, Artis? Yeah, so absolutely. So the top place to go is through our website bbbs.org. Again, that's bbbs.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well. Our handle is at bbbsa. So you can find us in that source of that. Well, I'm also available via Twitter at artist in Stevens, or you can find me via my LinkedIn as well. So feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to reach out to contact us on our website, which is probably the most prominent way if you want to get in touch with us. But we would love to start a conversation and initiate a conversation about how we serve and impact more youth across the country. Excellent. And all those contact points can be found in the episode notes for this episode. So in your podcast player, simply scroll down and click on through to the most appropriate contact point for artists and his entire team at Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. And of course, you can head over to passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community, to not only find those contact points, but to also leave some comments, questions, ideas, thoughts, 
for artists and his team. Again, passionatepioneers.com. All right, artists, we're going to wind it down here. Again, thank you for being with us. But We have one more part here. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I'm a passionate pioneer because I believe in the empowerment of young people to find their path to be pioneers of their own and to help our country to go into new directions, into new growth, and to create new innovations to help us to grow and to help us develop in this world. Awesome. So inspiring. Artists, thank you so much for being here today. I know how busy you are taking on this new national role and such an important one in such a critical time for our country and for our youth. But for now, thank you for taking a pit stop, being on our podcast, spending some time with us. We look forward to continuing to be alongside you in this journey. But for now, thank you so much for being with us today, artists. Mike, thanks for having me. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing and just wish you the best in this year. And any way that I can be helpful, please feel free to call me back. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.